20 square blocks. 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 20 square blocks. Square. On February 2nd, 1857, in the midst of the gold rush, the National School first opened its doors. 160 years later, and one of Ballarat's most iconic landmarks, the school now known as Dana Street Primary, continues to stand proud. I had a chat with Paul Nolan, a former principal, about the ghosts that roam the hall, the connection to Eureka, and the former teacher that caused the downfall of the Kelly Gang. So you're a principal at uh, Dana Street. That's right, yeah. And you were there for two years before you were sacked. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a quick exit, yeah. Now, how long were you there for? Uh, I, was, I, was, I was actually at the school for 10 years. I was assistant principal for three and a half years, and then I was principal. Right. So what, what attracted you to Dana Street? I guess if you're a careers, um, you're aspiring uh, principal, you're, you're aspirational, um, you see opportunities that come up, and that one came up at that particular time. It had a good reputation as a school. The principal, um, she, she had indicated that she might leave after two or three years, right. um, which is a good amount of time when you come in as assistant principal, you get a bit of a feel for the school, and it positions you in a, you know possibly to take over as, as principal if the vacancy comes up there. So uh, I rang my dad um, one night and said, look, I've just been successful being appointed the assistant principal of Dana Street. And dad said, oh, I used to be the um, school captain there. And I said... And I was really surprised. I thought I don't think, didn't think there was never any family history with Dana Street. Um, and anyway, turns out that the teacher school college was actually based there um, back in the uh, in the fifties. And Dad was the college captain or the teachers' college captain. So, so your father was a school teacher. He was a teacher, and then he was a principal, and then he became a uh, lecturer. So did you decide to? follow your father's footsteps probably a bit of both i yeah. guess it's the safety of going into something that you know because your parents do um but i always loved the notion of being a teacher but that excited me and interested me i thought that that you had a, a greater sphere of influence i guess over hmm. um, more people more kids um and community so that interested me as well So how long has it been a primary school for? Uh, well, it's been, it's actually, ironically, there's, there's two sites, there's two schools on the site. So the, really? uh, yeah, the original school is was what's called a national school, and right. it was built in 1857. I'm guessing here that one of those sites is going to be on Dana Street and the other site... Dalton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, and that's, that's the original national school that was built in 1857. So then... The state school, which is opened in 1876, is on Dana Street. It's the red brick. So simply red brick and black brick, if you like, or yeah. blue stone. Yeah. 57? 1857. So that's like gold rush times. It was indeed. Mm. Was it built because it, of the gold rush? It was. It was, yes. The school was built at a time where it was, it was really led by the well-respected leaders at the time um, came together and said, you know, education is paramount. We need it. Mm-hmm. Um, the city was thriving at the time and it looked like it had a prosperous future. So it, it, education was probably something that was lacking because of lots of kids running around the gold fields probably <laughs> not being taught yeah. um, and r- running amok, if you like. So um, it, it might have been brought about a certain social cohesion as well. 
This wasn't the first school in Ballarat, though. Not, I don't think so. I think that St. Alipius actually had a tenth school. Uh, I had a discussion ah, with a... That doesn't count. Well, that's, that's what I said. So I had this discussion with the principal of that school years ago and, um, and she said, oh, I think we've pipped you. And I said, well, no, our, our, our building's still standing. Um, yours has obviously been blown away or stolen or something. So uh, Yeah, but, well, how do you know you guys didn't have a tent school before? Well, possibly, <laughs> possibly. But I'm pretty sure, and I'll stand to be corrected, that, that it is the oldest government school in the area. Right. I'll, okay. I'll stand by that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so what else did you know about the uh, the history of this school? It's got an intriguing history, and the, the more you dig around with the history of the school, the more the richer the stories. For instance, to form a school, you need to constitute a, a school committee. The, the churches actually ran education, so um, it, this was the first time, I think, that a local group of people said, well, we'll form a committee, we'll create a school, that won't have just a religious curriculum and so on and so forth. So some of the early members, um, James Zoddy was a, a notable Ballarat person. He was called the, I think he was called the father of Ballarat at one time. He was the president of this group, but it also included um, Peter Layla, who was the leader of the Eureka Stockade. He was mm. the, who led the rebellion. Mm. He was um, shot He's and a lost. Naughty, a naughty man. He was, he was, he was a rebel and, uh, lost his arm in the battle, and he became later on uh, a member of parliament after they were all pardoned and, and so on. So these were very prominent Ballarat people, and they managed to rally money together to build the school um, and put it together so that it opened in 1857. So it became quite prosperous, and I think there was up to 200 kids uh, at one time in that particular school, which stayed open for 20 years. And so it was too small? So they had to ex- Yeah, expand. well, I, I guess then it was the advent of, of the um, Education Act, which came in, in, 19, in 1872, and that was really um, became a world leader because it was the first time that state education was free, secular and compulsory, and it was actually ahead of the game, in term, even in Western countries in the United States and, uh, and uh, England. They hadn't had a system like this. It's a state school as opposed to the national school, which was a different concept. It was very... Was the first one national? Yeah, it was called a national school. A national school, right. But it was just... It was governed locally. Right, and mm. the second one was state school? State school, yeah. Yep. Okay. How do you know all this history? Oh, look, I guess... Um, I guess I'm interested in it, and right, okay. we taught the kids uh, a lot about this history because it is an iconic school, mm. and you know, civics and citizenship is a is a subject um, in the curriculum, uh, and local history is something that we try to incorporate as well as we can. And if you've got a rich history like Dana Street, why not? Why not use that? Yeah, right. Mm. Do you find that they respond or are interested in they this are. kind of thing? They are interested because they can make the links with the Eureka Stockade. Mm-hmm. Um, they can see the tangible, the buildings themselves. Um, and, and Ballarat is such a, a rich historical place. Um, they can live it and breathe it as well. So right. they do connect pretty well with it. Mm. I see. That's I never had that in Horsham. <laughs> Didn't you? <laughs> Surely. The, uh, the rich history of Horsham. <laughs> It extended as far as the fishing comp. Did it? Okay. And wheat. <laughs> and wheat. Okay. That's pretty much it. There we go. Uh, all right. So if you look at that black building, a national school, it looks, it's kind of old, kind of scary. It gives you the feeling that there's ghosts around. Well, the interesting thing about that is that there, 
there used to be a storage area for the for the sports equipment and you'd have a couple of monitors as you do when you go to school you're assigned your responsible grade six kids to look after the sports equipment of course mm-hmm. problem with it was because they would go in there and they'd start throwing things around of course and having a wonderful time so instead of going there to tidy up the sports shed <laughs> they'd go in there and mess it all up and they'd, they'd take three times as long as they're supposed to all that sort of stuff it would end up clean most of the time when they actually went in there to do it well only when you'd come and, and chase it up so <laughs> when i was assistant principal i can remember going in there a couple of times and in consultation with the grade six teacher thinking hey this, this is not working so anyway what evolved was this story um about this is a serving story uh, yeah this a little serves bit. your your it, it does but but the, the jury's out as to whether it's true or not so uh, we we really don't know but it's around the surrounds the chimney we really don't know makes it sound like it's not true <laughs> <laughs> well we can't well this is a ghost story you can't you can't, can't validate that except with fuzzy pictures anyway the surrounds the chimney so anyway apparently the um uh, the, the chimney in the old national school is all when you go in there it's actually all been bricked up and um, the story was that uh, apparently uh, the principal apparently wanted to have this lovely Christmas idea um, and decided that he would be Father Christmas Santa Claus come down the mm-hmm. chimney um, sound like a bad, bad it, idea it's not, a, it not, it's not sounding very good at all no. but um, as you can see where this is going because yes. <laughs> <laughs> now no one else knew he was going down the chimney is that no, right it was just a, it was just a good gesture by, by right. a loving principal um, anyway he, uh, he decided to do this but of course nobody knew, knew of his intention and, mm-hmm. and of course and they started the fire well, no, no. I'm was, was jumping the gun. You're jumping the gun. Yeah. He, uh, anyway, uh, he didn't turn up for school for a number of days. And, of course, nobody knew where he was in those days. They thought maybe he's gone on holiday. And they wanted to talk to him because there's this weird smell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there was. The, the smell gave it away. So, uh, essentially, there they discovered that, um, yeah, he, he had uh, endeavoured to come down the chimney, got stuck, and, of course, passed away. And the smell was there. So... Um, they couldn't get him out, so they, all they could do was brick up the, um, the chimney. So uh, his uh, his ghost still wanders around. So um, the story singing, is that they ho, kept ho. him in there. <laughs> yeah, they could get him out because I think he was a fairly large man, um, very sort of portly Victorian gent. So uh, he he couldn't he couldn't get out, and they had to brick it up. And uh, so yeah, like I said, his his ghost wanders around. So that was a uh, um, and it served its purpose well because we did explain that to the uh, year six boys and and so they they got in there tidied things up and they got out of there pretty quick so it worked that way okay yeah that story's never written down anyway it's not it's not in any of these documented stories but yeah is there any other uh any other ghost stories around that place there was one and i think both the schools need a ghost story of valor all oh, right so it's one for each yeah that's right so that's the national school one right but the state school one um apparently there was a woman uh, a victorian spinster called um Nellie McGillicuddy. She was a teacher back in the <laughs> 1890s, I think. McGillicuddy. McGillicuddy, yeah. Yeah, like I said, she was a, a very much a Victorian spinster, dressed in black and blah, blah, blah. And um, one day, unfortunately, a clock fell on her head. And um, the poor woman was, we believe, killed as a result. And her, uh, her ghost still appears at the what would be the west end of that hmm. building. What is that a clock fell on a grandfather clock? <laughs> no, I think it was just. I think the chalkboard. She might have been, you know, um, banging on the chalkboard. Possibly that hit her on the head right. and uh, killed the poor woman. So that's that's all we know. But um, she um, she appears occasionally, um, not dissimilar to that that film, The Woman in Black. 
Now, you've got a history of all the teachers that were there. Is she on the list? No, no. There's no actual record. You'd be surprised. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) There's no... Yeah, there is actually gaps. I I do... I was working there one night, um, and sometimes principals stay behind and... This is what we want to hear. We want to hear your accounts. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was there one night, and it was probably 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, middle of winter. I I was locking up, and um, the lights in the main passage are always on when you're there they're sensor lights um, and then I saw what I thought was a person right down the other end of the, the hallway so as I got closer it looked it was this apparition this black apparition so I took a photo of it you took a photo yes yeah but it was very fuzzy of course too did you keep walking towards it no no because um it was it was really bizarre I took the photo and then you know as you do on your mobile phone you check to see it it came up alright which it did it was a bit fuzzy and then I looked up and of course she was gone huh but then I got out of there pretty quick yeah mm, very quick <laughs> and suffice to say I wasn't working there at night very often after that and um, sent it to all the teachers um, and of course they were horrified because they thought oh I couldn't believe this was actually happening so we believe that was Nelly. do you believe in ghosts? well yes I do now now <laughs> <laughs> look I can't explain that but um but it, it did give me a fright because... I bet it would. I don't mm, believe in mm. ghosts, but I tell you what, at night, mm. they seem a bit mm. more real. Mm. And when they look like an old Victorian woman dressed in black, yeah. it's... Uh, yeah. I've heard that you know something. There's a there's a Ned Kelly link with the school. Mm. Thomas Kerno was a teacher at Glen Rowan um, up right. in northern Victoria, where of course the Kelly gang were ultimately call, caught. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was a teacher there and the head teacher for four years prior to the the, the time that the Kelly gang came to Glen Rowan. There was a train called the Police Train, um, and it was on its way to Glen Rowan. And mm-hmm. the Kelly um, the gang were intending to stop it, derail it uh, for whatever purpose, whether it was to attack the police or rob it, not sure. Anyway, uh, he, uh, he got wind of this because he was actually on his way into Glen Rowan and was um, caught by Ned Kelly himself, rounded up and taken to the hotel uh, there with his family, his wife, his sister and I think his brother-in-law at the time. Anyway, he managed to convince Ned Kelly that he was a sympathiser of Ned Kelly and so on and so forth. Hmm. He pretended that his wife was unwell. Because there were a lot of sympathisers around. There were, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of oppressed Irish people mm-hmm. living in poverty. So they, they saw Ned Kelly as a hero. Um, but anyway, so he managed to uh, convince Kelly that he would, uh, his wife was sick and Ned Kelly actually let him go. However, his plan was to alert the train... Um, that they were going to be derailed. And this in turn led to the police mounting a counter-attack and they caught Ned Kelly and the gang. So he's actually in many ways responsible for Ned Kelly being caught and the gang. So, of course, after this happened, some people saw Thomas Kuno as a hero, others saw him as a traitor. So he was moved under an assumed name or an anonymous name to a school in Gippsland, a little bit like the Witness Protection Scheme. Right. And then he ended up in Ballarat and he taught at Dana Street and he lived here until 1922 until he passed away. 
So there is a photo again um, taken around by, about by you, blurry. <laughs> blurry, that's right. Yeah, it's got Nelly in it as well. <laughs> um, but this, uh, and he's actually in it. So uh, there's a real strong link uh, to the Ned Kelly story. I've always imagined that a principal is somebody who meets and greets parents who are thinking of coming there, signs a few checks, might turn up to a class, makes a few speeches. Is that pretty much everything? I used to always joke with the kids that my job is moving this pile of papers from (laughs) one side of the desk to the other. Most of the kids got the joke. Some thought, is that all he really does? (laughs) Um, So (laughs) I think it's like any job. Until you take the role on, you don't realise what the role is. Um, so there's a significant amount of administration involved. But then every day brought new challenges because there might be issues with particular students, with particular teachers, uh, with parents that you had to deal with. And the buck stops with you. Yeah, ultimately it does, yeah. So the principal, even though that a lot of the work is administration, when there's when anything escalates, you've got to look after that as you well. You do, you do. Yeah. It's a very people-focused position. You have to be able to be across people. You have to be able to work with people, communicate and you have to resolve issues and, and get a win-win for people. When a kid got sent mm. to the principal's office, mm. would you find out beforehand or would they just arrive? Sometimes they'd arrive. They'd arrive in a huff and they'd, so they'd be – there was always a chair. Ironically, I had Outside. this beautiful old heritage chair and um, the kids would often sort of be sent down it and you'd hear this thump and they'd sit in the <laughs> chair and, and it'd be some kid there with his red face and his arms folded and he'd been sent down in half. And I'd bring him and let him calm down. Usually, you always have a couple of kids. You wait, you wait a few minutes? Yeah, let them cool down a bit. Yeah. Um, then you usually get a phone call from the teacher saying, such and such has been sent down to you. Um, and, uh, and did they just handball it to you or is it, no, no this is, a, this is a, a legitimate technique? It would vary. Sometimes the teacher would just need um, to take a child out in order to calm the teacher down and calm no. the other kids down and calm that particular uh, child down. I always walk this fine line of making sure that I didn't appease the child sent to me so that they were happier when they went back, so that if you get sent to Mr Nolan's off, it's actually a good thing. Um, no chocolate biscuits. I knew principals who would, who would give a chocolate biscuit to a kid what? just to just to calm them down, get them on the right side, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that'll calm them down, yeah, chocolate biscuit. Right. <laughs> and they'll come back again because they know it's a good look. <laughs> but you, most of the time, they'd always send, send them in pairs, um, so you'd have... Uh, one child would be the one who would report uh, such and such has been sent to you um, and I'd bring both kids in and we'd have a chat. Hang on, so one was just the messenger? The messenger would be the escort so that you'd get both kids and and that escort wasn't in trouble either. So you never had one that just the escort turned up and said, well, she ran away? <laughs> Not really, no. no normally okay. they were pretty good, yeah. And, and look, the best way to appease a child is to say, I used to always say, you're better than this and, you know, appeal to their humility. And it would always work. I used to find, most of the time, anyway. <laughs> well, fantastic kids. They were good kids. Were you ever sent to the principal's office? No, I was, I was pretty good, yeah. Never? No, no, I was pretty good. Mm. Were you? I don't think I was. No, no. I think I got away you with You got it. away with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Paul Nolan. Music by Ryan Goodwin. Check out his other music at virtuallyryan.com. Additional material written by Anne Murison. 
The logo is designed by Chris Frith. Editing by Ricky Cheno. And thanks to H-Studios for the use of their studios. I'm Ben Plaza, and this is 20 Square Blocks.